2: Consequence Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to The Spark Parade, where I geek out with artists and entertainers about their cultural spark of inspiration. I'm Adam Unz at Spark Parade on all social media. Thanks ever so much for joining me. It's a two episode week. I'm spoiling you. So uh, today I am joined by alt-rock legends Nathan Willett and Matt Most of Cold War Kids, who spoke to me about their spark, Davis Guggenheim's U2 documentary, From the Sky Down. It's a great chat, if I do say so myself. Both Nathan and Matt are U2 super fans, and, you know, it's always fun for me when my guests really show how much they're into their spark. Um, so we're going to get into that in just a second, but first, a quick reminder to head to Apple Podcasts to follow the Spark Parade and leave us a nice review. As I mentioned in the last episode, we're doing a big push this month to help the show grow and as an incentive for helping us out with that goal, you could be in with a chance of winning some exclusive consequence merch. All you got to do is write us a lovely little review on Apple Podcasts, take a screenshot of it after you post it and then upload the screenshot to the link in the show notes for this episode. I'll be announcing the winners in December, so get to work if you want to win. Okay, back to business. Quick Cold War Kids facts. Nathan Willett and Matt Most are the respective frontman and bassist of California indie rock band Cold War Kids. Over the course of nine studio albums and numerous EPs, Cold War Kids have become a major part of the modern musical landscape thanks to deeply personal songcraft and a commitment to forward motion. Cold War Kids' brand new, self-titled 10th studio album draws equally from the band's blues and soul-driven sonic past, as well as fresh forays into dance beats and 80s pop rock. The album's themes of creative life conflicting with domestic realities reflect Willett's increasingly introspective state of mind. The new album Cold War Kids is out now for your streaming and downloading pleasure. Quick From the Sky Down facts, From the Sky Down is a 2011 documentary directed by Davis Guggenheim about rock band U2 and the production of their 1991 album Octoon Baby. The film documents the album's difficult recording period, the band members' relationships, and the group's creative process. And there you have it. Let's get to it. Here comes my chat with Cold War kids about From the Sky Down. Who, who wants to go first? Do you remember seeing this movie for the first time? Did you see it together for the first time?
3: I saw it in a, I saw it in a theater down in Orange County when it came out. That's when I saw it. Like, uh, what year? 2011, I think it came out? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw it in the theater. There was one theater playing in Orange County, I think at Edwards Cinema that played the Artie films, and I went saw it there, I think.
0: I think, uh, let's see, I think I watched it maybe the first time. Oh, I remember my old apartment. And and at the time, uh, I feel like they were uh, very much, so much uh, Joshua Tree, Memory Lane celebration of touring and all these things, and Octoon Baby was always kind of the one that the story was a little bit, lesser known. And and as a record, always the one that was very, I think, divisive for people uh, uh, that we you know, in our band new growing up was always either people, you know, very love or hate and and very much represents where you stand on their band as a whole. And so when this documentary came out, I was just really excited about it. It captured so many things about being in a band that I felt like really I got to learn a lot from and identify with. And as in so many ways, you two like can articulate things that uh, yeah, I don't know, they, they make their band the center of the story, not like necessarily their their individual individual, personal lives, but more like the story of their band as, as like the the center of their story. And, and it's just, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's so unique. I love this movie.
2: Yeah. There's, there's so many things like where to begin. Yeah. This, this particular album, I think, um, is, is so pivotal in their career. It was such a turning point as the documentary gets into, it's like coming off of the Joshua tree, suddenly being one of the biggest bands in the world, having this tremendous success and kind of grappling with how to deal with that and then something that i never you know my perception of especially bono had always been like he's a little full of himself he he like you know he he projects this image or that's the kind of public perception is that this is somebody who thinks very highly of himself and seeing in this documentary that that perception was something that they were shocked by and bothered by and were like fuck this isn't we're just like trying to make this you know making rattle and hum like we're doing Uh, this exploration of American music and we think it's really cool and everybody thinks that we're dickheads for doing it and struggling with all of that shit and then going into recording this album with all of that hanging over them and, you know, tension in the band and everything. It's just like such an exciting moment, but also very unique. You know, there are very few bands in the world who have that experience. Um, So good. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's part part of the reason I think the you 2 love as a whole is is there like it's like the archetype of a band is you just can't really get better in terms of like everything that you want a band to embody nobody else quite lives up to their story like even the way that there's the footage of I want to say it might even be it looks like it's Kane's uh, Ballroom in Tulsa. It's probably not, but it's Bono and Allie like, like dancing in like what looks like a very country bar. But he says, Allie he says to him, like, you got so serious. You used to be such a more interesting character, you know? And he really, that's kind of when he realized, like, oh, you know, we are this earnest, you know? And I, I love it because it, even the, the Anton Corbin pictures, the um, Moss and I were texting about this and as I was re watching this because I hadn't seen it in years, but the brilliance of. Those Anton Corbin photos and how much they basically like Joshua Tree, one of the biggest records of just all time, all time, all time. That really, as they say in that documentary, this is a finished record that they didn't really have a title or a visual image language for that Anton named, gave them the setting, gave them and suddenly became the concept and the backdrop of all these things, which I feel like is such an essential U2 thing like they run with things that, that feel good and true for them. And then they find the meaning in it and inject all the meaning in it later. And the, the symbolism of the Joshua tree and, and the, the images and the stark black and white and all this desert and everything like, it's something they ran with it obviously was not all sides of them and and wasn't all of who they were and and so yeah they got to flip this and say how do we play with this thing and be these playful characters that are way more than this american earnest landscape you know thing and also the the context being like the least popular time to go the direction they were going like this kind of European industrial. And at the time it was like American guitar bands were, were really happening. And like they went a direction that was very much at odds with everything on MTV, everything, you know, that was popular. And it just kind of worked out because they were true to it, but I don't think it was like the best idea in terms of everything else that was happening.
2: Yeah. And I I mean, I just want to uh, clarify, I do not think that Bono was a dickhead. I feel like, you know, I I just want to course correct there. I felt like I was shitting on him, and that is not what I meant to do. No, I mean, it deserves to be said. Like, that's what most people feel. Mm -hmm. But he's also totally self-deprecating. These are people, this band started when they were 14 years old. It's like people, you know, they're in their 60s now, people who have spent their entire lives together. They've grown up together and all that stuff like the the Anton Corbin uh photos it's fucking iconic it's you know art like looking back on all of that stuff even though it was a different kind of flavor to the band it's what made them global superstars I mean it's a it's an ingredient in what made them global superstars and it's this stuff that's like you know burned into our collective memory so all of that stuff is totally amazing, but it's just this idea of like not rejecting that, but kind of evolving past it and changing the way that they worked. All of that stuff as well. God, seeing their process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Literally watching those songs being written. It's like did you see um Get Back the yes. Beatles documentary? That same thing where it's just like watching these songs that everybody knows. I
0: made a bunch of notes for this as I was watching it and one of them was that uh, um thinking about get back as as the kind of like example of like the highest standard of what it's like to actually see musically the creative process really happen in front of you you know documentaries are always explaining to you how amazing something is and you so rarely actually see on camera something go from nothing to something totally brilliant and get back is one of them and another one is the example of them Them playing the tapes of, um, I think it's is it even better than the real thing or Zoo TV or something where they're like, okay, this is Bridge One, this is Bridge Two, and then they go, wait, now let's open up that Bridge Two, and and later on it becomes one, the song one,
3: mysterious ways,
0: is it mysterious ways? Yeah, yeah, and it's like this moment where you two jams, and most bands, pop stars, especially now. People don't write songs that way where you have hours and hours and hours of jams and and you um, listen back to them and find the song within them and all that. That moment that they captured and that you can see when this iconic song actually took shape is is one of those like like gives me gives me the hair on my neck stand up moments where you're like, whoa, that's when they're like, oh. This is this special thing, and this just changed the whole trajectory of this whole time at Hansa Studios when we're all feeling weird and bad and all this stuff. And we're like, ooh, that's a great thing. And even then, the the footage of them listening back to it with Daniel Noir and and Brian Eno, and kind of like they're still listening to it without lyrics, and it sounds totally different. And Brian Eno doesn't like it, and they're still just kind of tinkering. And it still could have gone away and been this thing that just became nothing. But that's what's so unique about them. I feel like they'll just chase something forever and it could always be not good. And, and, and then sometimes it becomes the song one and it's like just unbelievable.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. Um, Matt, I guess, you know, as like a, U two YouTube fan and uh, you know uh, um, somebody who's, who's knowledgeable about their history. Was there anything about this movie that surprised you or anything that you got to see from a different perspective than you you had before?
3: I think for me, it's like, it reminded me of why I got into music in the first place. Like, I was 12 years old when Octoon Baby came out. I thought it was the coolest record. You know, I, I had never heard of YouTube before. I remember walking to my friend's house when I was 12 years old and I, I saw You Can The Real Thing video on the MTV. I was like, what is that? I went that day and bought it. He, my friend bought Joshua Tree. I bought Octoon Baby. That's the day I discovered it. And all well, my cousins went like a year later to the, the show at Dodger Stadium and I was too young to go. I really wanted to go. But that's like, I got really into Octane Baby when I was like in junior high. like I was like 13, 14 years old. And I thought it was like the coolest record, the coolest artwork. I didn't even know about Rowland Hum. I didn't know about Joshua Shrie or Unfinished Fire, all that stuff. I only knew Octane Baby right away. And I just devoured that record over and over and over. And then I got into the later, earlier stuff, like, you know, war and stuff. And I was like, wow, this is like punk music, but it's not punk music. And I mean, our band, our band Cold War Kids, like I had that that name way back in the 90s, because I just loved the motif of watching all the old U2 stuff from like when they were in Berlin, when the wall came down. I loved like the motif of all that stuff, Germany being divided, and just it was so bleak and terrible. But I really liked how beauty could come from such like a Divided City, and I remember getting really into the lyrics of, of like, one and, like, all the videos of, like, all that stuff, and I taped the Zoo TV, uh, I think I was, like, 15, when they, Fox Channel 11 did, like, the hour-long special. It was, like, the the and Hum version for Octoon Baby, where it was, like, on network television, like, the hour-long special, and I watched it over and over and over and over, and uh, I was just obsessed with that stuff, like, the, the imagery. I got so into it, and, you know, to this day, I'm still buying, like, octane baby shirts and all the blue legs i love all that that style and it has such a huge you know me doing like all the artworks for the band for for the most part for 20 years i always come back to octane baby cover it's like everything about that cover is so timeless the squares anton culver photographs like i mean i I, i'm like obsessed with it like truly am and that record is like it's kind of embarrassing how much i like it like i I think it's (laughs) so good like It is like truly a perfect record. I like it more than any like Dylan record, like any, anything, you know, and I'm, I love music, but that record, like I, I will geek out. I mean, the spirit of auction baby is like where it's at. Like, I just
2: love it so much.
3: I got really jealous because our, my, my, I have a few friends that are at the show tonight in Las Vegas, and I'm going to try to go in December.
2: The, uh, other thing about the Vegas shows, it's the first time that they are playing without Larry since 1978. Yeah. I know. It's a bummer. I
0: don't, I don't, yeah, it's weird. I I, I would love to know more of the backstory of why they had to, obviously chose to do it without him, but uh, I I think any fan probably has some conflicted feelings about it.
2: Yeah, I saw, there was some uh, morning show thing that I, uh, they just interviewed the band in, you know, the sphere and were going through all of the basics of the show and how the venue works and stuff and it's like, Like anything in Vegas, this gigantic spectacle, but like pumped up to a billion. Like it looks, it looks pretty incredible.
0: I'm so bummed I'm not there right now. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But talking to him about Larry and it sounds to me like it's whatever he had surgery for is something pretty serious and that the recovery period is going to be long. So they don't really know when he's going to be back in action. So anyway, that's an aside. Yeah,
0: um, the uh, 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 the tie in of that, it, it is weird because they, they do have such this like, it's the four of us. And no matter what, it's the four of us. And I, I, for colder kids over the years, one of the biggest things about the time that I saw this documentary, so it was 2011, did you say? So where we were at then, like, I feel like what a family and brotherhood their their band and even you know their manager their extended family is like the way they and they, and they say this you know in october baby they're, they're even saying how it's like the edge is going through a divorce you know during the time of making this and writing love is blindness and all this stuff is like and, and the betrayal of of larry and using drum machines and all this stuff like it's so for anybody for any other band these things would seem like, I don't know, not that big a deal almost um, like or not that compelling material for like a massive artist. You know, I don't know if it was Madonna and she was talking about how her, her drummer was going through a divorce or something. You'd be like, I don't I, that's not the, the stuff, you know, but that is somehow so endearing for them. Um, and they use that stuff. And I know for us, for cooler Kids, what, what I personally was was. You know, going through with basically like, you know, losing band members and realizing that that was what I wanted for us and what we were as this family and that that wasn't going to be our story the way that we move forward. Octoon Baby for you too is this way of like, we have to find out this new way of working to move forward and and that it means sort of like almost this betrayal, you know, of of certain members and how we work and how we write. And it's going to be Bono and The Edge writing and the other guys feel weird and all this stuff. And I love, one of my favorite things and that is so weird for the enormous insane success they've had is that Bono will say, like they'll they'll say, we didn't really have songs before then. He says that in that documentary and almost like several times, like, oh, well, we didn't really have songs yet. And I know what he means. Like they had like jams, but it's also like I still haven't found what I'm looking for is not a song, but I know (laughs) what he means because it's like these jams that that aren't, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge like structure that they kind of started more with Octoon Baby and now are very like more committed to the song as opposed to like the vibe jam of like you know bad or something like these amazing things that lyrically and structurally are very weird but i just love that the idea of like oh we didn't really have songs then it's like what are you talking about you were a stadium band playing with or without you you're not considering that a song but i i just love it it's so weird to say but it's it's i think it was true for them they needed to go through this metamorphosis of like we need to have this less like jam thing and more song thing anyway all that stuff being said we were older kids were going through our own evolution i think where i started to you know be you know have more of the sort of writing hand and things and 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 we were all trying to figure out our roles more and, and in ways it goes on and on but it, that was a particularly like in a way Like super enlightening for me in a weird way, kind of both like sad, really sad and really happy watching this, this thing of like, God, these guys have been through it all together and they're going to lift each other up and go through it together. And and I felt very sad because like, man, Cooler Kids is not going to have that. We aren't that anymore where we're going to go through this thing together, but we are growing and evolving in this way that is different. Yeah, I don't know. I just I remember actually even uh, years later, like somebody saying uh, Queens of this Queens of the Stone Age interview and, and somebody saying like, oh, OK, so you have these different band members come and go. And I remember Josh Homme saying something like, yeah, at a certain point, you know, I realized like uh, we're not going to be you two. And, and I And I and I really like spoke to me. I was like, damn, you kind of hit a point where you go like, OK, is the moving forward? Is the evolution going to be all in it together or is it going to be like we're going to lose some people in order to move forward? Because the other alternative is just not growing at all. And just they knew they had to grow at this time. And even like to imagine in this day and age, like the level of, of success of records sold and and stadiums around the world from Joshua Tree. And you could keep doing the same thing for a very long time. And most artists would. 99% of artists would just be like, let's go make another record in more or less the same way, because it works and Everybody wants that from us and let's keep doing it until it doesn't work anymore. Most people would do that. There's no modern equivalent of how big they were and how many records they sold now, except for maybe like Adele is going to make like 19 and 24 and 29 or her record. You know what I mean? She's not going to like do this drastic left turn into like where nobody really wants her to go because it's too confusing. But like, Yeah, I don't know. They they did that thing and it became their defining thing.
2: Time for a quick break because somebody's got to keep the lights on around here. But we'll be right back.
1: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.
2: And I I guess the stuff that you're talking about, you know, the way that bands evolve, for them, they're a family. They have been together for so long. They have all of this shared history. But that doesn't, that's no guarantee. Like with real families where, you know, sometimes you work through all of your problems and you're able, a couple is able to stay together. Sometimes people stay together for the sake of the kids and then get divorced. Sometimes, you know, things just don't work out and you're better off with other people. And... All of those paths, it's like, you know, people's lives lead them in all different directions. And it's about, I mean, I say this as someone who's never been in a band, but, um, you know, about finding the dynamic that allows you to carry on and progress and do the work that you feel happiest with and that you're proud to present to the world and that people respond to. And all the stuff that they were doing with this album, it is like, you know, there's tension and, you know, having this change of scenery. I mean, Matt, what you were saying about Berlin Fuck that city. I mean, now I feel like it's a city that is so particular and so like, you know, visiting it as a Jew in particular. It's just still feels like a city that has been spanked. It's like the dark cloud of the war is still there. But at the time that they were making this album my god how fraught I mean that bit the the scene in the uh, documentary when they like get stopped by a guard or something and he's like you know trying to give them shit and somebody's like that's gone that's over you can't do that anymore so having that kind of tension there that must have had an enormous impact on the music and just thinking about other music I mean when they're talking about Bowie in the documentary as well and the way that that particular city affects people and um, the kind of music that comes out of it it's uh yeah, it's it's fascinating.
3: Yeah, I think that's I mean that's I think that's one thing I love about the record so much is that it's the it's such a brooding record, but like it's so pretty at the same time. And I you know, as a kid I was romanticized like being in like Europe and it's dreary and but it seemed like hell. It didn't seem very fun, like in the in a documentary like this this sucks. But I think that, you know, Love is blindness and acrobat and all like the, the basically the, the B side of the whole record is just so brooding and but it's still so pretty and then the way that i hear bono singing on opting baby it's like there's so much distortion in his voice there's so much nastiness but it it still pokes through and it's just like that record just really nails both the pretty side of and the, the brooding side of 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 rock music i still hear new things every time i listen to that record it's crazy they put out a live version a few months ago i think maybe like a year ago we could only get on the like the youtube Fan site or whatever, but I found one on eBay, and it's it's basically the same exact track listing as Octane Baby, but just like and so the entire track listing, but like all live versions from '92 all the way to like 2018. We should give it a listen. It's, it's incredible.
2: Yeah, I mean, talking about you know these reissues, the fact that this is the album that they're doing for this big. Vegas spectacle that's opening this venue that's been, you know, hyped up for years. It dominates the Vegas skyline now and is just this global event. And this is the album that they're playing. And I don't, you know, it's not a mistake.
3: Ron always talks about how the Pop Mart tour in the late 90s was kind of like, is this the beginning of the end? Like the the shows were not sold out. The tour started in Vegas and everything. could go wrong went wrong when that tour started and i wonder if he's gonna reference that because that's like i remember bono saying in in interviews like the beginning of the pop mart tour in vegas was like not good
2: (laughs) yeah i am excited to see what comes out of this uh residency i mean another thing about that interview i saw they looked pretty stressed they were like we had a rehearsal yesterday sucked it was really bad (laughs) wow i remember
3: when i was i was in a punk band in high school and i was really into like you know getting into rancid operation ivy and cephalo fingers and all these cool bands but secretly i kind of like i'm like man you choose really where it's at but i remember like in like in in high school like my punk band playing battle of bands i went and figured out how to buy like four or five tvs in a thrift store and i got vcrs because i was like we, we had to make our punk band look like zoo tv because like zoo tv has all these cameras and you know uh newsreels and stuff and i remember editing like stuff like in like late high school like to have like the props of our band because i was like i was like we gotta you gotta have visual things on stage because the band's not interesting enough you know
0: yeah you know for for us having started a band and and having all these influences but as we actually got into the real stuff of record deals and big decisions and touring and all this stuff that we really were so deeply out of our depth. I feel like you too, as a, as a model of something to look at and go like, Oh, you know, this is, uh, you know, you can't really look at like a lot of the things that we looked at growing up, like whether it's Iggy Pop or the modern punk bands, the Swing and Utters or Oasis or whoever, like you can't really look at those uh, of, of models as something to really like base your ethos on. I loved Fugazi so much growing up. At a certain point, we realized like that's not who we are. We are not doing that. We are doing this other thing that is... In many ways, so much more mainstream, but not like middle finger mainstream. I think YouTube became so much of a, a a thing that we could look at and go like, whoa, this is this is like that archetype thing for us that that is so powerful. This documentary and then really like, man, the Bono book that came out of uh, whatever, a year or more ago, just phenomenal. Just like his, his ability to communicate their story and the songs and cannot recommend more to the listener uh just so incredible no matter what you think actually even for for moss and i our old manager he was never a big fan we never really had him convinced and then he read the bono book and and that really really like sold him on this whole other level i think the buy-in for you two is so high at this point and and it only gets higher the more time goes on the the sort of like the character of bono and how and and the you know all the baggage of this band it should be acknowledged there's so many annoying things that are that are really difficult to get past you know The iTunes thing of that that record being on your on your iTunes, the 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 iPod stuff, everything like there's so many reasons that anybody younger than us, anybody younger than 40, I think, has a gag reflex towards them. It's very well deserved. So to be like an apologist for YouTube, in many ways, feels like trying to sell people on the idea of like Walmart or something, you know, just this (laughs) massive thing that's been successful for so long. And is so ubiquitous for so long that why do they need anybody to, you know, how can you love a thing that is so large, you know, the, but it's in the details, you know, and the more that you, you get into it, you go, Oh my God, like something can be this big and have like a heart that is so big that, that, that really like you see people that go to shows and they are like. This is their church. They're able to inject themselves into every modern story of whether it, but it, 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 you know, so much of that started with this Octoon Baby tour and the, and the TV screens and what they're able to do with integrating modern news. It's insane. A
3: few years ago, uh, when I was still dating my wife, she came to me kind of like, I don't know what, what the right word is, but she said like, she wasn't a YouTube fan. And she, uh, she's like, I think this might be a deal breaker for you if I don't. She's like, I need you to make me a a, a pretty comprehensive U two mix, and she she told me three songs to leave off. And she uh, she listened to it, and she's like, this motherfucker, he he's right. Like she got so she's like, I've been wrong about U two for so long. Like for fifteen years, she's like, just had this idea of what U two was, and the and you know the first song on the on the mix I made her, she now has like tattooed on her on her wrist, and it's like she it's a deep 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 cut too. Well, what is it? And cat dub the black cat from a. Uh, the first album, you know, it's a. I think it's a German title, but yeah, the Black Cat. I love that song. That's obscure.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. Is like you know, even if it feels like U2 is as ever present as uh, Walmart, the key difference is that the reason that U2 are as big as they are is because their music speaks to people, and the the heart, the the core of what they're doing. Is creating these songs that have this incredible effect on millions and millions of people. And it's a rarefied space. It's, you know, there's a reason why they sell out arenas, why they're, um, and, you know, even if it was a mistake to put that album on every single, uh, in iTunes, on every Apple device. It was a fair assumption that people would be okay with it because they are such a huge band. And you know, taste is subjective. Then you're never gonna please everybody. But um, of all the bands in the world who might have been able to get away with that, they're in that category. Yeah. Yeah, there's something kind of like in my in my in my opinion, it's
3: kind of like inviting yourselves over to a friend's house for dinner, which like that's that's how I, I view that whole itunes thing where it's very funny
0: and it's also like it's one of those things where the culture changed so much right then and even for cold War kids we we witnessed you know the cd sales and record sales and that being the way that people thought about things and and we were you know at the kind of tail end of that and seeing this massive shift away from that being the benchmark But also this sort of mentality of like conquering, you know, like um, like U2 is so deeply capitalist (laughs) and so deeply like, you know, very much like a boomer way of sort of like breaking down doors and, and conquering. And I think like, uh, you know, our time and place that we came in, like I think of a very sort of like post the strokes, white stripes, yeah, yeah, yeah. As New York rock and roll boom. And uh, sort of in a, the wake of indie rally, you know, arcade fire, all, like the, this type of like the shift I think was about like rock and roll is no longer the, the predominant, you know, art form in in sales you know hip-hop is hip-hop has all the swagger and big money and big sales and everything rock and roll is a little you know and it continues to become more and more kind of niche for contemporary artists and classic rock and roll for for anybody who was in it before so that sort of fatal flaw of the 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 itunes thing and how many people uh i always remember I like there was, a I think, a Tyler, the creator tweet of of like, how do I get this shit off my phone? (laughs) You know, and like (laughs) and and so many people were like, yeah, it was like the most tone deaf, not way to be relevant thing that that they just they didn't know because they came from another time. And like the idea of discovery. No matter who you are, you could be journey, right? Or whoever, somebody who is who we, anybody over 40 is like, that's the most ubiquitous, you know, the who right now you would be like, of course we know who that is. But like a younger person still has to discover them in a way that feels authentic and that was smacking you over the head with it, and and that was the opposite of an authentic way of discovering music. Um, it was a force-fed way, and and I yeah, even just that incident and and how much it is a line in the sand of of music, how how you market it and how you sell it and what does it mean to be free and all that stuff. Like it, 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 it's so bizarre, but yet again, I mean, I I strangely think that even though it was probably viewed as like the biggest, I mean, even Bono himself, I think it says like you know by far his greatest mistake <laughs> his greatest like misreading of a moment even then is like they're permanently in that story for that moment and and there's value in those mistakes you know like making them publicly
2: yeah and now we'll see what happens with uh extremely high resolution sphere in uh in vegas <laughs> yeah i mean it, it's
0: it's exciting. It's exciting that they've been doing this so long.
2: Seriously, I heard there's speakers in every seat. So someone told me. Yeah, it looks crazy. I, the the one thing that I'm having a little difficulty figuring out how it's going to work. It's like sitting in an IMAX where you know you kind of want to be in the middle or something so that you can take in everything that's happening around you. But then you too are below you. So it's like, where do you want to sit? If you're in the fourth row, you can't see anything that's happening behind you in this sphere or it's, you don't get to get as much of it. I mean, that's my impression having only seen it on uh, the news, but a small, small uh, issue to, to think about if you are planning to go
0: weird, weird, yeah. weird, weird. It's going to be interesting. Um,
2: man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that is a lovely place to stop. You have been very generous with your time, both of you. This has been so much fun. I really appreciate you making time for me.
0: Pleasure. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And then um, hopefully we can uh, transition this into somebody sending us all the three of us tickets to go to the sphere and we'll review the show and it'll be.
2: Yeah. Let's put that on the world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 All right. Thank you. Right on. Yay! Thanks so much again to Nathan and Matt for chatting with me. The new self-titled Cold War Kids album is out right the very now, and you should give it a little listen if you know it's good for you. And that's about it. Please follow me on social media at Spark Parade, and then please do me a solid by following me on Apple Podcasts and giving the show a kind and sweet review so you can have a chance at winning some exciting Consequence merch. Remember to post your review screenshots to the link in the show notes and you're off to the races, my friend. And until next time, bye.
0: You know how to book flights and hotels.